Friends, you may be seated. And as you do, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, for the last of our four sermons in this first chapter of the Gospel of John. If, you're, uh, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. We've provided them within arm's reach of you, and you'll find what we're going to look at this morning on page 833, the little black hardback Bibles on the back of the pews in front of you. John chapter 1, verse 29. And just in case you're wondering, parents out there of little ones who would normally be in childcare, if your little ones are making noise right now, it's just making the rest of us really happy to be here as a family on Christmas. You're not going to bother us. Don't worry about it. And, and just to go ahead and put you at ease, this is not going to be the 45-minute sermons you're accustomed to around here at Edgefield Church. This is going to be more in the neighborhood of, of 10 minutes, but still full to the brim of gospel hope about Jesus and what it means that God has sent him to us. This is the word of the Lord from John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, speaking of John the Baptist here, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is God's word. Let me pray for his help to understand it and to love it. Our Father, we do ask you to speak by what you've spoken and to show us through your word the glorious, radiant beauty of your Son. And we ask you to give us a faith in him that will last. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right, kids. Now I do want you to raise your hand if you got presents this morning. Raise your hand. If you, I've already talked to a couple people inspired by Worsley's carol service sermon who held back their gifts from their kids <laughs> this morning. All right, so as most of you, though, got some gifts, Worsley's sermon notwithstanding. Uh, all right, now raise your hand again if your parents save the best present for last. Yeah, my parents used to do that to me too. I mean, you like the little gifts along the way, you know, like the, like the socks, especially if they're nice and warm, or the new jammies. I've seen some of you out there wearing new jammies even this morning. Uh, new books are nice to get, you know, whatever. But the biggest presents, the ones that, that you were dreaming about last night, the ones that maybe made it hard for you to go to sleep last night, a lot of times those presents come last, don't they? God's gift to his people are kind of like that. The whole Bible from the very first chapter all the way to the end is kind of like a, a big list of God's presence that he gave to his people because he loves them. It starts in the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible where we learn that this whole world is a present from God for his people to enjoy. Do you know when you, when you woke up this morning, you woke up on his world? He gave you a place to rest? That when you walked out of your house, you were up under his sun shining on you so that you could live? That's his blue sky out there. But he put it there partly so you could enjoy it. You know, we had a big Christmas breakfast this morning. We had eggs and bacon and homemade cinnamon rolls. You know, God filled his world with things like that for us to enjoy. And gave us taste buds so we could taste that cream cheese icing on top of that gooey, gooey cinnamon roll. 
He gave us this world as a present. You know, he also gave us our lives. You know, you're alive right now because God wants you to be. Another way to say it is you're alive right now because he loves you. He wants you to live or you wouldn't. Every breath you've ever taken, a present from his hand. The Bible doesn't stop there. He gave his people great promises on top of giving them life and a world to enjoy. Through his, through his servant Abraham, he promised a whole new world free of all the things that trouble this one. He gave them the law through Moses. You know, the Ten Commandments that he gave to Moses are like a great big present given to his people so they'd know what's good and right, so they'd know if they followed these rules, things would go well for them. That was a present he gave them because he loves them. He gave them land to live in, beautiful land, a land where they could grow stuff, a land with plenty of water to, to provide for his people. On top of the land, he gave them a good king in David. And after David, he gave them prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, gift after gift to tell them what's true, to warn them against what's false and what's evil, and to promise them that one day an even greater king would come to deliver them. And then at the tail end of this long list of gifted prophets, God gave his people John the Baptist a new prophet, a great prophet, a promised prophet who's actually been mentioned several times in the first chapter of John 1 where we focused our sermons this past month. John the Baptist is one of the best gifts God ever gave to his people. But to me, the most noticeable thing about what John chapter 1 says about the amazing gift of John the Baptist is what John the Baptist is not. It almost seems a little bit harsh. If you've got your Bible open to John chapter 1, let me point you to what I'm talking about. Look at verse 6. This is the first place that John the Baptist shows up. Verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So far, so good. John, the author of this book, wants you to know that was a present from God. He gives his people good gifts, and now he's given them John the Baptist. Praise God for this good present. But then look at verse 8. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. But he was not the light, the true light, verse 9, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Look at what John says about himself. He took the point. Jump ahead to verse 19. This is the testimony of John. John, the author of the gospel, tells us. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, this is his chance to say who he is. He could have said, I'm the one Isaiah promised. That could have been the first thing out of his mouth. I'm the best prophet you ever got. I'm John the Baptist. Well, look what he says. First thing he says when they ask him, who are you? Is I am not the Christ. <laughs> he confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. It's like John is saying this. He wanted to make sure you saw. I'm not the Christ. Think about how strange that is. When somebody asks you about who you are, where do you begin? I might say I'm from Nashville, but I grew up in Alabama. I might say I'm a, I'm a father and a husband. I might say I'm a pastor in an amazing church. I'm probably not going to say, but I'm not the president of the United States. Just so you know, 
I'm not the president. I'm going to start with who I am, not with who I'm not. Why does John, the author, and John the Baptist work so hard to make sure you know who John the Baptist is not? Rather than all that he so wonderfully is. It's because they knew, and they want you and me to know, that God saved the best present for last. They want no doubt in our minds about what the real present really was. And John the Baptist himself tells us in verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only Jesus could be the Lamb to take away the sins of the world. If we needed better teaching, and that was the gift we'd been waiting for. John the Baptist would have been just fine. Dude was an insane teacher. I mean, insane in a good way. He was such a good teacher. People from all over that region flocked to him wherever he went, even though he was often out in the wilderness where it wasn't pleasant to sit and listen to people talk. John was an amazing teacher. He would have been just fine if that's what we needed. Or you might say, you you know, things are actually much better caught than taught. If you want real change, what you need is a real example to follow, a real model that you, can, that you can just do what he did and things will go well for you. Can you imagine a better example to follow than John the Baptist was? This guy was completely sold out. He lived out in the desert, dressed in animal skins, living off locusts and wild honey. That guy was radical. And, and when... And when, when, when the rubber met the road and he'd finally angered the wrong people often enough that they came for him, you know, he stood toe to toe with the king and he did not back down even when it literally cost him his head. That's a guy worth following. If what we needed was a better example, John the Baptist would have been just fine. By all means, be like him. But me and you, we, we need more than clear teaching. And we need more than better examples to follow. We need more than wonderful gifts like these. Because we don't just need more help or better information. What you and I need is forgiveness. What we need, what we literally cannot live without is forgiveness. And only the Lamb of God sacrificed for us can offer us that gift. If you lock in on John the Baptist or any present you got this morning or anything else in all the world, you will not get the forgiveness that you need. But in Jesus, you will. Friends, it is a terrible, terrible thing to sin against our holy God. If you break a rule at school, you might have to sit in a timeout chair or even go to the principal's office. Do they still do that? If you break a law in our city, you might have to go to jail. If you commit treason against our country, well, sometimes that will get you killed. 
But what if you break the law of the most important, most wonderful, most powerful being of all? What if you break the law of the one who made you and who gives you every breath that you ever take, who fed you what you ate this morning and who upholds your life moment by moment? What if you break his law? Well, that, that would be the biggest deal of all. So big, so big that it means you must lose your life completely. That's how much sin costs. But here's the hope of Christmas. Here's what makes the birth of Jesus such wonderful, amazing, irreplaceable news. Our God is love. He is love. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's full of grace for sinners like me and you. And, and, and he looked on what we'd done and he said, I'll pay what it costs to forgive you. Even though it will cost you the life of my only son, I'll pay it. I'll pay what it costs so that you can be forgiven. Here, I'll provide a lamb, my lamb. He will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Believe in him and you will not perish. I love the way the old Puritan pastor Thomas Watson put this. To give us Christ is more than, is, than if God had given us all the world. He can make more worlds, but he has no more Christ to give. Or how John puts it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, our God did not spare his son. Behold your God. He loves you. Let's pray to him together. Father, you are so good to us and so much better than we deserve. But with these empty hands, we grab hold of what you have done. We cling to Jesus and only to Jesus. And we pray to you that you will hold us in him till we see you face to face. We pray this in his name. Amen.